Well, good morning once again. I, uh, I'm glad to be back with you this Sunday from uh, a brief but joyous vacation to uh, Washington, D.C., and then over to Williamsburg. We bribed our children through the, the two days of memorials in Mount Vernon with a trip to Bush Gardens on the back end, right? If you, if you listen and obey and pay attention and pretend to enjoy this, then we'll end up at Bush Gardens by Wednesday. And so um, it worked. But, but I think they actually enjoyed it. They, they really had a great time. And uh, I had a great time just being with my family and uh, learning together alongside of them. So, so thank you uh, for the opportunity uh, that you give our family and our staff to, to be able to take some vacations. I think it's very important uh, that we do that. And uh, we enjoyed our time together immensely. The only regret I have is that somehow I managed to bring back a cold, which you probably have discerned in my voice this morning. And last night, I was hacking, dry hacking cough, probably more than you want to know, but uh, I took some cough medicine. And about three o'clock this morning, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't go to sleep, so I went and read the back of that cough medicine. And uh, one of those side effects is, you know, you should probably take the kind that doesn't say non-drowsy, right? You, you want to be drowsy at, at 10 o'clock. So, having said all that, uh, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that's, uh, that's my prayer this morning. Uh, this has been a, a message that's been burning in my heart for really the last several months. And I just felt like it was time to preach it. So, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus is doing his healing ministry, and this is what the Bible says. And they, likely referring to the crowds, they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Would you pray with me? God, we want, uh, we want to be disciples who are leading the nations to enter the kingdom of God. And so we ask, Lord, that you would prick our hearts this morning, that you would remind us of the priority of childlike faith in your kingdom. And Lord, that you would move us uh, to be a church that is reaching the children of the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke places these verses immediately after two parables about prayer. You'll remember one. There's a, a widow who keeps going to an unjust judge, making a request, and He's, he's denying her request, even though it's a valid request under the law, but she just keeps coming back and making her request, and finally the unjust judge withers her down, and he says, sure, I'll give you whatever you want, and Jesus says, well, God is a just judge, and if you are his child, how much more will he give you what you are asking from him? And then the, the next story that we, we see <clears throat> pictures the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee prays about himself for two or three verses, and then the tax collector simply says, God, forgive me, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I need your grace. I, I'm totally dependent 
upon you. And then after this story, we get the picture of the rich young ruler. He has everything that money could buy, and Jesus says, well, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And these are the three pictures that we have surrounding this story that Luke drops in about the faith of a child. How interesting. You see, what Luke is trying to say is, if we want to illustrate the simple faith that gives us entry into the kingdom of God, and which motivates humble prayer and sacrificial generosity, we've got to remember that entering the kingdom means we must receive it like a child. You see, these verses aren't just about children. A lot of times we go to these verses and we only think about children, but Jesus says those who enter the kingdom of God must be such as these. All of us must come into the kingdom like a child. So to become a child of God, we must all, there's no other option, there's no plan B, we must all have childlike faith. And I believe that that has implications, and I believe Luke believes it too, and the Word shows us, that that has implications for Jesus' disciples, and by extension, for His church. You see, if we want to be a church that leads people to enter the kingdom of God, I believe Jesus is showing us two things that we must do as the family of faith called North Roanoke Baptist Church. First, we must remember the kingdom is received like a child. Verse 17. And secondly, we must prioritize ministry to children. Verses 15 and 16. First, we, we must remember the kingdom is received like a child. There's no other way to enter the kingdom unless it is received. It's interesting, isn't it? That it's an entry. He says, if you want to get in the door to the kingdom, well, the kingdom really has to come into you. It, it, it has to come on the inside before you can go into it. It's, it's not received by what we deserve or what we demand. It's not something that we can just ask for and get. It's got to be given to us as a gift. What, a better, what better way to illustrate the need for simple faith than the, the way a child receives something. Have you ever had difficulty giving your kid a present at Christmas? I mean, my, my kids organize by whose name is on what, and then they dive in. They have no difficulty receiving a gift. They, well, you know, which store did you buy it from? How did it come about? It's just, here's a gift. All right, I'm going to dive into this thing. At least that's what my kids do. That's the way we receive the kingdom of God. When, when it's presented to us that, that the world is broken and we've sinned and we've fallen and there's a remedy in Jesus, we receive the gift like a child. If, if prayer, which Jesus talks about just before this, these few verses, if prayer is analogous to talking to someone, let me ask you a question. Is there anything in the world more talkative than a four-year-old? I mean... Can I get a witness, Rand? I, I saw that face. Driving the minivan, four-year-old in the back, dad, 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 dad. I'm just trying to get to Washington, D.C. But if the prayer God hears from a sinner is the prayer offered in humility, let me ask you this. Is there anything more precious than the tears and the hugs of a boy who has felt the pain of disappointing his mom? Understanding that he really let her down. Understanding the cost of his sin. Now, to be sure, we must understand that childlike faith does not mean a faith that is uninformed or a faith that doesn't have any questions. If you know anything about children, children know how to ask 
questions. Both of my children have gone and are going through the why phase of childhood development. Mom, why is there traffic light on the road? Well, because it lets cars, people driving cars know when they can go and when they can stop. Why? Because if anyone goes through an intersection at the same time, there's an accident. What's an accident? It's when cars run into one another and people can get hurt. Is that bad? Well, yes, it's very bad. Why? Well, because people... Samuel, hey, Dad, what's an intersection? I mean... Why, why, why? And although moms and dads, at least in, in the Palmer household, will eventually wither under the onslaught of their children's questions, God is ready for your questions. In fact, when He gave us his, the Bible, His Word, He didn't just give us the answers to the questions, He even gave us the questions that we should be asking in the first place. He gave us the questions through which we frame our understanding of the entire world. He says, here's the kingdom. It's how you should view the reality in which you exist. And part of raising godly children is not just giving your children all the answers. It's giving them the questions that the Bible raises and then leading them to understand how they come to those answers. To receive is to become a partaker of the benefits of God's kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, this one is great. The disciples were arguing about who is greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, look at the child. Who, who's the greatest at North Roanoke Baptist Church? What Jesus is saying is, you need to walk down the preschool hall and find the youngest infant on the preschool hall. There's the greatest among you. The one who can't vote in a business meeting yet, who hasn't come to saving faith yet, that's where the greatest one is yet. Because it's a picture of total, utter, humble dependency upon another. That baby can't do anything for himself yet. Neither can the one who recognizes their need to enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom, we must receive it by receiving its king. Butler writes this, childlikeness is not just one possible way among others to be part of Christ's kingdom. Being like a child is the only way to kingdom living. He continues, if you cannot do away with your pretensions, your greed, your claims to fame, your need to dominate and control, your grasp for identity and power, you cannot be a part of Christ's kingdom. Ch children enter the world little, powerless, Hungry, unknown, and broke. They don't have credentials. They don't have a tithe to bring. They don't have degrees. They don't have pretension or control. They are completely dependent upon someone else for life. And they are happy to let you know about their dependence, at least in the Palmer household. Mommy? 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 Hey, Mom. I'll be sitting right there because... Stacy stays at home with our kids, and she's a stay-at-home mom and, and does homeschool with them. There, there are days I'll be home. I'll be sitting right beside Samuel. Hey, Mommy! I'm like, son, I'm, I'm right here. I, I can help you out. Oh, okay, Dad. What do you, I'm so used to calling on Mom. There are days I'm sure wish that Stacy wishes she could change her name to Dad. But that dependence of a child is a picture of the posture of a heart that is ready to receive the kingdom of God. Totally dependent upon the grace of God given to us in Christ our King. To enter the kingdom 
And to receive the nourishment and guidance for true life from our eternal king, we must receive the kingdom like a child. Bach says it this way, in the kingdom and in one's walk, to be a child at heart is a good thing. Secondly, so, so for those of you here this morning, and you don't know Jesus yet, the key to knowing Jesus is getting over yourself and giving yourself over to Jesus. There's, there's so many excuses that people want to bring. Well, you don't know what I did, or I, I, I can't believe that I've got to depend on somebody else. Just get over it. Give your life to Jesus. Be like a little baby who is totally dependent upon its mama and recognize that is your position before a holy God. You are totally dependent upon the grace of God in Christ in order to receive the kingdom. Now, for those of you who know that and just needed that reminder this morning, the, the second thing I want you to see, and I really want to spend some time on this morning, is verses 15 and 16. Because we, we have... As a church, not just North Roanoke, but churches, we, we have sort of segmented children's ministry as, as one of the many things that we do that sometimes gets some attention and ebbs and flows in the cycle of church. But Jesus, He doesn't say this about senior adult ministry. He doesn't say it about adolescent ministry. But, but when it comes to children, Jesus says there's something about ministry to children that I need to share with all my disciples that should characterize their life as a disciple for as long as they're alive. That's pretty important. So what does he say? He says you've got to prioritize ministry to children. The crowds are bringing even their babies to him. The real word bringing, excuse me, the word bringing means to come to someone who can heal or who is ready to show some other kindness. In an age when many infants didn't even live to their first birthday, people heard of Jesus' healing and asked Him to touch their children. Did you know the world still longs for a healing touch for their children? No matter their income, their ethnicity, their nationality, or their education, did you know the world wants their children to thrive they don't want their children's lives ruined by all the addicting vices the world presents. They want their kids to learn to read and write and spell and memorize and create and innovate and dance and play. And they want their children to be safe on the one hand, but to be part of something bigger than, than themselves on the other. And they don't even know why they want these things for their kids. But eventually, they fail. Society fails. And the ideal gets lost. And we end up settling for band-aids that do no good to heal the brokenness of our lives. Because education, virtues, morals, sports, and ambitions that are not rooted in the gospel of Christ do not save you. They kill. But we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we are the place where the healing touch from Christ for even babies can be found and should be on display. And the remedy that the sons and the daughters of Adam need is that they would become children of God. And that work begins even with infants or with babies. The word is brephos. The smallest Greek word for child, infant. In other words, the work of leading people to the kingdom of God begins in the nursery. It begins with a church that says, 
we are ready, world, for your babies. We want your babies here. We want to put them in the best places. We want to serve them and minister to them so that you can get a word from God that you can then in your home invest in your children. The church as the body of Christ needs to be a place where even infants are getting the gospel categories that eventually give way to the eternal blessings of life everlasting in the kingdom through childlike faith. But what do the disciples see? Verse 15. When the disciples saw it, they saw what we so often see in children's ministry. They saw the dirty diapers and the crying babies, the constant interruptions. They saw a threat to their club and their traditions and their ministry with Jesus, their greatness in the kingdom. Bach says they thought Jesus did not need to be bothered with such trivialities. In their view, the children's presence infringed on Jesus' time, and dare I add it, on their time with Jesus. They did not see a holy opportunity, but a delaying hindrance. Children take a lot of time, don't they? They take a lot of money, they take a lot of planning, a lot of effort, and they have very little to give you back. Maybe some spit up on the shoulder. So when the disciples saw Jesus wasting His time and resources on those who surely could not be of any value in establishing a kingdom, they rebuked the crowds. They warned the crowds. Hey, 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 we've got some important business to tend to here. Don't you see what's going on here? But the disciples' rebuking of the crowds quickly gives way to Jesus' rebuking of them. The church is at her best not when she is chiding the world, but when she is leading the charge to bring the world's children to Jesus. Walking through the mall, walking through a supermarket, somebody's kids are acting all crazy, and the first thought that comes to our mind is, she should know better than that. What's she doing with her kid? What's that kid doing out here at Walmart at 12 a.m.? What are they thinking? Let me ask you a question. Would you keep her baby if she brought him to church next Sunday? So that she could hear the gospel and learn how to raise her children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. A key way that we fight the temptation to become a church that caters to ourselves and our kids and our wants and our traditions and our desires at the expense of those that God still wants to save, a key way that God keeps us on the front lines of gospel advance is He gives, is he gives us the commission to always be working with children. One of the key ways that Jesus gives us for having a fresh and expectant and reliant and childlike faith is to call us His own body and then give us the responsibility and the privilege of reaching children in Jesus' name. Jesus commands us to permit them to come, but not just passively. Then he goes on and says, we must not hinder. It's like he says to his disciples, stop hindering children from coming to me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Why does he say that, by the way? Because the kingdom of God, verse 16, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Ministry to the most dependent among us reminds us that we are the most dependent upon God's grace. 
You can't be around babies and children and toddlers very long before you begin to see if that's the sort of disposition that they have toward you, then that's the sort of disposition we ought to have before God. The sacrifice and the inconvenience of caring for children reminds us of what? That Jesus became our sacrifice by being inconvenienced for our salvation. Prioritizing children helps us to prize true, humble, and simple faith. So here's a question this morning. What are some ways that we inadvertently, or perhaps intentionally, but usually inadvertently, what are some ways that we hinder children from coming to Jesus? What are some ways that we hinder children from coming to Jesus? Jesus says, don't do it, stop it. Well, let's consider some ways that we may be doing it, and then let's stop it. John Piper, former pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, argues the number one thing that hinders children from coming to Jesus is our pride. He says, when Jesus sees a disciple hindering a child from coming to him, he sees someone in danger of missing the kingdom because of pride. If you are not childlike toward God, children will probably be beneath you and not worth your time. So that's my first question. Are children beneath you? Are they not worth your time? Now I know some of you aren't physically able to be down in the children's ministry anymore, but do you pray for the kids of the Roanoke Valley? Do you pray for the parents of young children? Are you giving in such a way, understanding that when mom's got three, four, and five kids, that we want to be able to invest in, and, and her resources are tied up, but you're in a season of retirement or of life where you have more to give than you've ever had? Are you giving in such a way that we can be a blessing to the children of the Roanoke Valley? Are you praying? Are you investing? Or are children not worth your time? Another major hindrance is unbelieving parents. As a pastor's son, who's almost 40, can't believe it, but it's true, for almost 40 years, I've seen parents fake the faith for 18 years, bringing their kids, dropping them off at Sunday school and Wednesday nights, occasionally coming to church, but not really getting vested in the church themselves, and then they disappear as soon as their kids are grown. You see, they, they never had the faith themselves. And unbelieving, kids are smart. Did you know kids are smart? They can see right through it. And if you're not living the life inside your home, then don't expect it to stick for your kids. One of the greatest hindrances to our children coming to know Jesus and be touched by Jesus is the pretenders in the church. People who are faking it. And then there are thousands of parents. Did you know there's 52,000 people that live within five radial miles of this building? 52,000 people. If we reached 10% of those people, we'd have 5,200 people here on Sunday morning. There are thousands of parents right around us who have no clue about who Jesus is. And what is the best way to not hinder their children from coming to Jesus? It's to reach the parents. It's to go in Jesus' name and to give the gospel to the parents who have un no knowledge of the gospel in their home in order that their children might be raised in the gospel. Here's another one. We neglect our responsibilities as parents for the, disciple, for the discipleship of our children, and we leave it all up to the church. 
Lynn Wampler and Rick Harris are not, gonna, are not the primary disciples of your children or your grandchildren. You are. Piper says this, Fathers, it is your duty to teach your children about the glorious truths of justification, sanctification, redemption, regeneration, adoption, salvation, reconciliation, original sin, the deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, the resurrection, the second coming, the work of the Holy Spirit, the nature and the importance of the church, the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. It is a great hindrance to our children that we do not sit down and plan a systematic presentation of these things to them during family devotions for a few minutes every day. That, that may sound intimidating to you, and that's okay. In the weeks to come, I'm going to be working on an article where I'm going to try to provide some resources to our parents and grandparents that you can use as you try to invest the gospel into your children. Let me encourage you, as our life classes get started back up on Wednesday nights, get involved in a life class. We go deep into the doctrines of the faith in the, the, the pastor's sermon series. Get plugged into a class so that you can then invest this information and these key truths into your children. Another way that we hinder children. We only care about kids' ministry when we have kids in the ministry. You see, if our, if our motive for serving kids is that they are my kids, the motivation is going to fade away. But if the motivation is to be reminded that there's always a new generation in need of a Savior, and that in serving children I grow into kingdom-possessing faith, those are reasons for children's ministry that never fade. I think of a lady in our family of faith, I won't name her, but about a year ago she came to me and she said, I've come into some financial resources and I want to honor uh, the way that I came into these resources. I want to give a gift that's going to impact children at North Roanoke Baptist Church. And because of that gift, we were able to level this house and plant sod in this field where we're going to have 170 plus children running around next week during a wind-shaped camp. Kids from our church, from other churches, and just from the community. And for five days in a row, from eight to five, we're going to have the opportunity to pour the gospel into these children. Why? Because a lady who is, has more years behind her than she has ahead of her said, I want to make a gift that impacts children in our community. Her kids are long, long gone and grown. But she still has a heart for children. That's the heart of a disciple. Another thing we do is we give our kids inadequate space. Space that no one else wants or space that doesn't leverage the best aspects of the educational advances that have been made. Look, our kids, when they go to public school, they're learning on whiteboards and smart boards and iPads and all sorts of things. And then they come, they come to North Roanoke and they've got a puzzle. We've got to... We, Focusing on children forces the church to be modern and current in her approach to ministry. Serving kids more than any other age group requires that the church be technologically up to date. We dismiss theological questions, another way we hinder our children. We dismiss theological questions about non-essentials as not being important. So you say, well, what you believe about baptism, different faiths and different traditions believe differently, so we're not going to worry about that. that. That's just for an example. But let me ask you a question, gentlemen. What if you said, 
You know, a wedding ring is not essential on my wedding day. I can get married without a wedding ring. So I'll just show up to my wedding without my wedding ring. What would your wife say about that? Or your soon-to-be wife say about that? She'd thump you over the head and ask you, how in the world did you forget the wedding ring? Just because a doctrine is not essential to salvation does not mean it is not important in growing in life and godliness. And one of the things that we've done, we tend to do, is we tend to say to children, well, if you just get to Jesus, everything else is going to be all right. And we think that the, the deep truths of the faith, that somehow they're just going to magically go into their head and their heart without training them and teaching them and investing in them. They're not going to get it. And you know what's going to happen? If we train children to not worry about thinking well through the finer points of faith, they will not be prepared when they encounter others at college and in career who have thought through the finer points of unbelief. Let me say that again. If we just say we just want to get them to Jesus and then we don't want to worry about doctrine. When we train children to not worry about thinking well through the finer points of the faith, they will not be prepared when they encounter others who are thinking through the finer points of unbelief. There's a whole world out there that wants to knock down your child and your children in the faith. And we've got a brief season to help them understand why God's Word is reliable, why it's true, why it's trustworthy, and why if we are in Christ, we are secure in Him, and we can go to the bank on that. We've got a brief window of time to invest in our kids, and we are going to invest in the children at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Piper, again, is helpful. He says, a great hindrance to the salvation and growth of our children is the weakness of our own grasp of the full range of biblical truth and the unity of the whole counsel of God. You know, another hindrance is this. We teach our children to follow rules rather than to love their parents. I'm at, at, at the Palmer House, we're not doing it perfectly, but we're not trying to raise up a bunch of rule followers. We're trying to raise up a, two kids that love their parents and who understand that the way you love your parents is by obeying them. That obedience and love are linked. The reason that we want to obey Jesus is not because we want to get all the rules right. It's because we have a heart that flows with love for a king who came down and gave his all for us. So this morning, as we think about our kids, there's a few more reasons that I'm not going to cover for the sake of time. A few more ways that we hinder our children. This morning, as we think about the kids of the Roanoke Valley, as we think about the kids and the grandkids who are already a part of North Roanoke Baptist Church, Picture for a moment Jesus as His disciples rebuked the children. And then the, the Scriptures tell us that He called to them. He gathered them around like a coach gathers his team. And He says, hey guys, I want you to see something right here. The substance of the kingdom of God. 
the secret sauce of getting into the kingdom of God. If you want to know what it's like to be in the kingdom, then then spend your life around such as these. Don't hinder such as these. And I want to urge you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, as, as we chart a future here, I want to urge our church to be on the front lines of not getting in the way of children getting to Christ the King. A God who came low and gave His life, not just for us, but for children yet to come to Him. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank You uh, for this Word in the Gospel of Luke. We thank You for the reality that You receive us like little children. God, just humble, dependent, prayerful faith. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to invest in the lives of children. We thank You for the opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom of God right here in the Roanoke Valley. And we ask God, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, that we would be reminded of childlike faith. That we receive the kingdom by taking in Jesus Christ. Taking Him into our life. Incorporating Him into everything that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite our deacons to come as we make preparations for the Lord's Supper. The connection between childlike faith and the Lord's Supper is pretty clear. Jesus says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to enter the kingdom of God. And we hear something like that and most of the crowds were revolted, repelled by that. What in the world is Jesus saying? Uh, We know because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that what He was saying was, you've got to trust in Me. You've got to understand that if I didn't die in your place and if I wasn't raised and living in your place, then you'd be without hope. But because of Christ, we have a great, great hope indeed. So as we come to the table, I invite you, I'm going to pray, and I want to invite you to just prepare your heart, to search your heart and ask God, is there, is there a place where I'm not being childlike in my faith? Is there a place where I'm failing to be dependent upon Christ and rather depending upon myself? Is there a way in which I'm hindering children from entering the kingdom of God? And is there something that Christ would have me do about it? So let's just take a moment and pray together, and then we'll take of the supper. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of gathering as your body, being called out as your disciples, and we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be on mission with you from the greatest of these to the least of these, from the oldest of these to the youngest of these. And Lord, our only hope this morning is that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and raised, and now ascended King of kings and Lord of lords for us, your church. God, as we come to the table, remind us afresh of the priority of childlike faith. In Jesus' name, amen.